It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. America's voice of reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. We are often critical on this program of congressional hearings in that they should probably be changing the name because there's no listening going on. It's mostly performative politics going on, someone trying to get their viral social media moment or land themselves a spot on an evening cable news network. And every once in a while, we get to talk to someone who's actually experienced it. Uh, recently in a House Homeland Security uh, hearing, uh, one of our friends of the show, David Beer, Associate Director of Immigration Studies at the Cato Institute, uh, who's given us great insight on asylum and fentanyl and a host of other things at the border, uh, was a witness at this House committee and actually got to experience uh, experienced this for himself. And uh, David, welcome back to the program. Uh, we have been very critical about these uh, non-hearing hearings and uh, get, give us a little uh, taste of what it's like to be uh, sitting there waiting to answer a question. Well, it's uh, very rare that you get a question. It's usually a statement, and if that, and often it's delivered as uh, in a shouting tone of voice. So I, I would I was not impressed with my well uh, it's not my first hearing but first hearing of this Congress at which I was uh, a witness uh, didn't seem like there was much interest in getting to the facts as opposed to grandstanding. Yeah, uh, we, we tend to quote a uh, former senator now uh, Ben Sass from Nebraska who uh, often referred to it as a performative jackassery. Um, but we don't always use that term. But I, I think that often is it. And I think even in this particular hearing, uh, they were so, you know, gaslighting and just going over with whatever their prepared statement was uh, that uh, you had a, a whole lot of facts to counter uh, what they were trying to make as their performative moment. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the main message uh, that I delivered to the committee was that, uh, number one, the, the issue of fentanyl trafficking into the United States comes through ports of entry, legal uh, uh, points at, along the U.S.-Mexico border, and mainly trafficked by U.S. citizens who have the right to enter the country and um, bring it over in their legal luggage and um, mix it in with their cargo that they're bringing into the country. And the evidence for this is overwhelming. It's, it's so overwhelming that there's not a single department or agency within the federal government under either it, any prior administration or this administration that uh, disagrees with this assessment. Uh, DEA's uh, investigations show it's uh, overwhelmingly uh, coming in in this manner. And it makes perfect sense because that's what the cartels are warring over right now in Tijuana, uh, warring over control of a very highly uh, profitable port of entry there with San Diego. And if it wasn't so valuable, if the drugs weren't coming through that, uh, they wouldn't be fighting over it. 
And yet, uh, you know, repeatedly we were led back to um, this point and um, basically they didn't want to hear it and <clears throat> shouted, uh, shouted at me quite a few times that I was just in favor of fentanyl uh, coming into the country. Uh, one member of Congress even said I wanted to legalize it and, and uh, you know, I had blood on my hands and that yeah. kind of thing. So it was, uh, it was not a productive conversation. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think there's a better way uh, to, to get information out there to members of Congress. Yeah. And I think committees should think about how they are um, handling these types of hearings. Yeah, absolutely. It's such an, an important thing in terms of the process that that really matters. And and I do want to go back because I've been quoting you uh, as it relates to fentanyl because so many have bought into the broad argument and they have these you know images of these mm-hmm. you know cartels, thugs, and bad guys with backpacks going across the river and. Uh, the fact that the bulk, the vast majority of the fentanyl coming in is coming in through legal ports of entry being brought for U.S. citizens by U.S. citizens uh, is something that if we don't understand the facts of what's really going on, it's impossible to get to any kind of solution uh, to get to it. And and as you pointed out, uh, often in these hearings, if they, if they don't want to hear what you have to say, uh, then they just go to the you know, pejoratives and, uh, you know, you know, a member of Congress is in trouble when they deploy the you have blood on your hands line. Uh, it means they've run out of, of options of how they can refute anything. Uh, but but help us because we want to continue on the right conversation. Uh, we hate to reward mm-hmm. bad behavior on sure. this program. So <laughs> I want to get back to your conversation in terms of what else yeah. that committee should be talking about, especially as it relates to fentanyl and, and what's happening at the border. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Well, right. Uh, You know, the other main message uh, that I was there to deliver is that legal immigration is the solution to illegal immigration, and that it's been proven again and again when there are legal options available for people, they don't cross the border illegally. It helps to moderate flows of people into the country. It helps prevent so many of the problems that you hear about are ultimately caused by the fact that people are uh, have no legal option other than to pay cartels money in order to get uh, trafficked or smuggled into the country. And, you know, you have all these humanitarian stories on the one hand, but you're also paying the cartels billions of dollars 
by promoting a system that's so restricted that people don't have a, a viable option to come. And, uh, of course, you're imposing a lot of costs on border cities because that's where all the people are coming through. They have no means of transportation once they get here um, lined up, whereas if they came in legally, it would be a much more orderly mm. process that wouldn't burden uh, these border towns and cities. Yeah, I thought one of the compelling things that you raised in the hearing uh, that, again, some of the members just had no interest in, and that is this whole idea that you can have compassion and rule of law, that those are actually compatible principles. And when we stop just having the fake fights and the false choice, uh, we actually can get to solutions that uh, that are good for the American people uh, and good for those uh, who are in desperate need. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, you just keep coming back to the idea, you know, and, and people intuitively think if we just crack down, if we're just tougher at the border, then that's going to produce more order and more and less chaos. And one of the points is you have to think through the consequences of the logical consequences of what happens when you deploy some of these policies. And for example, you know, the policy of banning asylum uh, for families who are coming across the border, we banned asylum for families. We started deporting them uh, back to Mexico immediately. And the consequence of that is they started sending their children by themselves alone across the border because it's they're not being removed. The children aren't being removed. And so we end up with this huge flow of children who've been separated from their families who have nowhere to go. And it's much more costly and time consuming uh, for the government to address that problem than the one that we had before was certainly a problem when the families were crossing illegally, but now we just created a worse problem on our hands. And so we have to think through not just the first step, but we have to think through what are the incentives that we create down the road when we adopt certain supposedly tough uh, policies at the border. Yeah, great insight as always. David Beers, Associate Director of Immigration Studies at the Cato Institute, uh, did take the hot seat, uh, so to speak, in front of uh, the congressional hearing. And again, not a lot of hearing going on because nobody's really listening. Uh, But we appreciate you bringing the right conversation, the right principles that we need to be discussing. And I hope we can get those kind of changes in these committees uh, so that hearings can be hearings again. Uh, because I think that'll lead us to better decisions and better outcomes. Uh, David, again, thanks so much for joining us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll step aside for one last commercial break. We'll come back some final thoughts on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Stick around. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.